Hello and welcome to Kremlins in the Basement Real Sports World Cup podcast powered by Gfinity. I'm John McKenzie, football editor at Real Sport, and I'm joined as usual by three Kremlins in the basement. But first, a moment's silence for Alistair Puzanelli, who cannot be with us today because he is consumed with sadness in the wake of the Croatia semi-final win. But never fear, the founding member and sitting president of the Harry Kane Supporters Club is here. Ollie Steen, how are you doing? Ah, better, better. <laughs> now that the dust has settled a little bit on, uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> Next, a man who holds such sway in the Polish media that his article went viral yesterday. No, not Damian Burkhart, but Thomas Hill Lopez Manchero. How are you doing, Thomas? Pretty well, thanks. Pretty well. Yeah. Are you dealing with the, the newfound fame? Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping a bunch of angry had... poles don't turn up at my door. Tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We had to stop Damien from just pestering you for a, for a <laughs> signature, didn't we? Very much. <laughs> and last but by no means least, the man who asks everyone he meets if Luka Modric should get the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> it's the aforementioned Damien Burkhardt. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Good doing? stuff. Yeah, I'm good. We're here, as always, to bring you great football content from our basement in an undisclosed location in London. But before we begin, the salutary reminder that this podcast is available on iTunes, and as a result, the best thing you can do for us, if you enjoy the podcast, is to subscribe, rate, and review. This helps us get greater exposure, meaning more people can enjoy just how much football isn't coming home. So if you could do that for us, we would be extremely grateful. Um, I can, I can, you had to I can, go, you can feel the <laughs> scorn in my eyes, you had to go there. I, I, was, I was feeling attacked then by, by Steve's <laughs> eyes. And one final reminder, a lot of the discussion we have on this podcast refers back to the pieces that appear on our website, and this content can all be found at www.realsport101.com. We've got two semi-finals to talk about, and then two, uh, I guess, matches of, of it seems like, varying importance. Um, we'll start off by talking about the semi-finals. Let's get the Belgium-France game out of the way. It feels like forever ago now. Um, what was it? Tuesday? Um, and we're now on Friday, but the dust has very much settled on that one. Um, it was a game which went the way that we expected it to go, I think. We expected Belgium to come out quite attacking, France to be a little bit more conservative in um, following following Didier Deschamps' uh, standard formula for the for the tournament. They got the goal just after the second half and then and then stifled the game and Belgium had, had nothing. So they, they went through as 1-0 winners. Um no surprises from the game then, um, but perhaps a little bit disappointing for a World Cup semi-final, especially after the World Cup we've just had. I mean, yeah, it is a little bit, to be honest. It was a, I thought it was a little bit of a shame that the game was decided on a, on a set-piece goal rather than one coming from open play. Um, and France, in, in my opinion, never really looked like scoring from open play, to be honest. I know they had a fair few chances, but Giroud um, was wasteful in front of goal. Looked a little bit off the pace, I thought as well, and, and a striker with a bit more speed and a bit more athleticism probably would have would have put them ahead a lot earlier, and and they would have won by more goals. Mm. So you you feel that because obviously in the second half the, the game opened up incredibly with what basically the Belgians camping out in the French half, and then France attempting to counter attack, and there's a few they had a few chances to counter attack, and I think despite the fact that they've got that front line which is full of fairly impressive players. Um, they still didn't really put Belgium under a huge amount of pressure. Do you think that was just tiredness, or do you, do you no? Think I, I think I was sitting on Twitter through the game as well, and every other tweet was a shout for Dembele, Usman Dembele, to come on for Olivier Giroud. As you said, Belgium did start to camp out in the French half, and that left a lot of space in behind. You know, their back line was effectively playing as a midfield. That left so much space in behind, and if you have Mbappe and Dembele and Griezmann, all three of them running 
into that space that you know there were there were opportunities for goals there and I just thought as I said Giroud looked a little bit off the pace and and that was to France's detriment in terms of counter-attacking play which is why they ended up relying on set pieces yeah what what have we thought of France so far in this tournament then because it, it I mean the, the famous phrase that keeps getting trotted out is they're doing just enough or the other one is they're, they're not quite hitting top gear yet do we think that is true or do we think that they're actually sort of flying through by dint of the fact that they've their, their tactics have been lucky enough to be pulled off I think I think the assumption is that yeah they're going to kick into top gear at some stage but I'm not even necessarily sure they need to they need to do that they've got so much talent in that squad I mean obviously I think Deschamps has come under quite a lot of criticism for maybe inhibiting his players a little bit but you can't you can't vote to two finals in the space in the space of four years I mean I think that that shows success and I think he has done a good job with these players uh, for me France and his tournament they've just show they've just shown maturity and uh, the mo- they, they are the most complete team on the tournament They're, it's not doing just enough I think it's a very cal- calculated game and when they needed to score four against Argentina they did uh, one was enough against Belgium and I think that's why they, they will play in the final that's why they will win the final mm. yeah I, I have to agree with Damien there I think it's it's been intelligent management from Deschamps I know it's come under criticism because they're not perhaps playing to their full potential but for example the decision to play Blaise Matuidi has been widely criticised um, especially playing him as a left left winger, essentially kind of like tucking into that into that midfield to make it a three. He missed the quarterfinals, played in the last sixteen against Argentina, and kept Messi relatively quiet. Then played again in the semi final and did such a good job on keeping Kevin De Bruyne quiet that he was you know virtually anonymous for the whole game. And Eden Hazard as well, who I know he ended up drifting in inside, but did start on the left. Um, but yeah, I, I've been impressed with with Deschamps' decision making. To be honest, I know I know it's perhaps not what we wanted to see from France and the attacking talent they have, but it, it's got the job done. Mm. And let's talk a little bit about Belgium because they've obviously been finally, I think, fulfilled the sort of potential that people have expected them of them for the last few years. Um, and in many respects, I think they on a, on a different day they could have come out winners in that game I think had they had they scored the goal first I think once France had scored it was fairly obvious that uh, that was going to be the, the this this that was the way that the game was going um, but they had Eden Hazard who I think for me has been arguably the player of the tournament I think he's I've not seen him play as well um, both for club and country for a long time um, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is 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 the sort of player that I think the France game is not the sort of game that you really want um, and it's not really going to showcase his best talents because I think he's he's probably more useful on the counter attack. And it was it was interesting for me seeing Belgium going from playing a game where they were doing exactly what France were doing against Bel- uh, Brazil, sitting back, absorbing pressure, and then trying to hit on the counter attack, and then having to do yeah the opposite and and have huge amounts of possession, try and break down and attack. And and, and I think everyone would agree that the the France France team are very very tough to break down when they have uh, Kante and Pogba in that double pivot um, and and then two centre-backs as full-backs as well um, just making them very 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 solid at the back so um, what, what what are our thoughts on Belgium uh, as a team they've had I think a, a fun tournament beating Brazil was fun um, coming back against Japan was fun um, so what, what people's general perceptions of the Belgium side I mean fun 
only gets you so far, really. I just think they need to be a little bit more disciplined. They conceded, uh, I'm not sure how many goals they conceded in total, but it was two against Japan. They did one against Brazil, one against France. And there are obvious weaknesses in that in that Belgian side. Um, but I think I think moving forwards, there's a lot to be happy about there. And you know, most of their players are still relatively young. No, one, no one's approaching 30 rapidly that they won't be there for the next two years at the Euros. Um, but no, they're... I just think they need a little bit more organisation and perhaps a little bit less gung-ho style football and, and just play more as a collective, I think. Mm. And and they will win something if they do those things, I think. Yeah, and they obviously they were, they'd been held back in the last few years by ha- having no real full-backs or wing-backs. And I think missing Thomas Mounier was obviously a huge problem as well. Um, have you guys got anything you wanted to add on, on Belgium? Yeah, I was. I was just going to say. I think. I think Roberto Martinez, for all of his uh, detractors, obviously in the Premier League, has done such a good job of actually making a team of these individuals. I know, as as Ollie said, perhaps they were a bit gung ho, and I think that might that might be the difference between them and France. I think France have learned from their defeat in the Euros that a team who are set up quite, you know, as a collective, but very well defensively, can go far and and really do things. And I think I think Deschamps learned from that. And maybe that is something that Belgium have to learn, that they do have to throw caution to the wind occasionally. Um, yeah, it was fun, but it, it was never going to last all that long. Yeah, uh, I just think that, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think it was a bit naive to uh, for um, for Martinez to stick to Fellaini in that game because him behind Lukaku, it just... Uh, I think Belgium was missing creativity in that game a little bit, mm. whereas... Uh, Against Brazil, it worked because you could expect Brazil just to attack and then to rely on counter-attacks. That was a good tactic. But against France, uh, they are, as, as I said, their they game is very calculated and you need some assets to break down their defence. And I think Fellaini wasn't a good fit for yeah. that. I think it was hardly surprising that a midfield of Fellaini, um, Dembele and, and Witzel was just not enough to, to really cause France any problems. I think defensively, they're... They're all too static. You need someone who is going to cover a little bit more ground. I think going forward, they're all a little bit too static. I think there, there's too much similarity between the three of them. And it wasn't until yeah. they brought off um, Dembele. I think Dembele really didn't have a great game in many respects. He was played out of position. He was for, played out of position. Majority, played, but I, I do yeah, agree with you. I, I, but I think, again, it was never the sort of game where you want a player like Dembele. You want Dembele mm. playing in a game where there's going to be a lot of coverage in midfield and you want someone to get a foot on the ball and break a press and then and then lay the ball on. And that was never going to happen in that game. Um, so perhaps, yeah, Martinez was a little bit tactically weak. Uh, before we move on to the, the England game, there's clearly a move in international football towards um, systems that are more overtly negative in the sense that um, they seek to work for... work defense first and then and then think about attack we saw Portugal obviously in the Euros um, come up against France as well interestingly enough and then this World Cup France have have really prospered by being the team that is, is happy to set themselves up defensively and then worry about goals do we think this is going to be the the, the prototype for, for international football going forwards um, possibly I think as you said we've already started seeing that shift I just think it's easier for international managers to do that as opposed to try and preach some um, free-flowing brand of attacking football. Mm. They get limited time with their players, so it's a lot easier. And also for, for lesser quality or, or you know players that don't have the same technical ability as others, 
it's a lot easier to teach them how to play within a system and, and play within like quite strict uh, boundaries as opposed to saying, oh, here's the ball, go and express yourself and play on the front foot for a majority of, of the game. Mm. So I, I, I think we, we might start seeing a bit more of a shift towards that. But, you know, we have we have teams like Belgium, like England, that do want to play on the front foot. And I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Oli. I think that this isn't club football where you have the time to create that kind of attacking fluidity. It's just not possible in a lot of cases. I, I guess Belgium sort of bucked the trend for a bit, but then the fact that they're not in the final... Uh, and the England aren't in the final kind of shows that that is, you know, that sort of defence first approach can can reap dividends at international level. Even even Chiche and, and Brazil have typically associated yeah, they with flair and attacking football. Yeah, they found a nice harmony, a nice balance between that, and I think that is a statement in itself. Mm. Mm. Does that does that mean? Do you think that Jose Mourinho's future perhaps doesn't lie in domestic football, but could in fact lie at the helm of of Portugal? I, I actually was reading. I saw that about ten minutes ago. I was reading that. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I do think he, he would probably be looking at that and thinking that that's that's quite interesting. They were playing a brand of football that's very similar to mine, prioritizes the same same aspects, and he I think his his time in club football is coming to an end, and as he's not really kept up with growing trends in modern football, and he's not a very modern manager in that mm-hmm. sense. But it's yeah, interesting as well. I think that we saw Louis Van Gaal do quite well with the the Dutch in twenty fourteen, um, mm. and again he's an, another manager who's sort of domestic star has fallen somewhat in recent years because he plays that sort of fairly stodgy um, defence first football let's move on to talk about England um, England Croatia who wants to talk about this game I, I watched the first half sort of side eyeing it in a, in a restaurant so I'm probably not the best person to sum, summarise the game and, and I believe that um, England were quite strong in the first half I watched the second half and, and extra time quite intently and, and all I saw was Croatia hammering England but no we were England were particularly strong in the first half Kieran Trippier scored a fantastic free kick I think it was in the fifth minute um, and we had a few more chances to put Croatia away guilty of a little bit of wastefulness perhaps some wrong decision making um, and from there Croatia just grew and grew into the game and progressively began to assert their influence a little bit more Modric saw more of the ball they controlled the tempo of it and England were very much playing on the back foot um, and once once Perisic scored his equaliser from then on it was all Croatia and England were suddenly chasing a game that they really didn't look like catching up to at all they were always one step behind from mm. then on so why do you think that was because obviously we made a big thing about the fact that Croatia had had an extra 30 minutes of extra time um, and and we the assumption was was that the longer the game went on the more it would favour England and that was very much not the, the case England came out like you said were, were strong in the first 45 minutes and then uh, once that goal went in which was what about 10 minutes 15 minutes into the second half was it no it was um 68 69th minute just before 70 and from that point on because because i was i watched the game and it was quite even yeah and then then the goal went in and it was just wave after wave of of attack um why do you think that why do you why do we think that was do we think that was indicative of a lack of maturity or experience on the on the side of the english team immaturity stubbornness I don't know it's some a factor that prevented or made sure Southgate refused to make a change reflective of the balance of play at that time I think he stuck a little bit too rigidly to the style of football that he'd been he'd been trying to play all tournament um, and it, it was just it was a bit naive to expect Henderson for 90 minutes to be able to cope with two brilliant passes all on his own with Ali and Lingard both pushing forward and leaving him a little bit yeah. exposed in that sense 
you know, there's always a case to argue that Dyer should have come on earlier than he did. I think he came on in like the 95th minute. We didn't make a change. Or no, Danny Rose was our first change right at the end of the game or the very start of extra time. But there's certainly a case to argue that Dyer should have come on earlier and, and create that double pivot. Yes, it would have been to the detriment of our creativity, but we're, we weren't creating enough to begin with in the second half anyway. Mm. So how much really would we have would we have lost going forward in that sense? It would have helped us control the balance of play a little bit more. But one, one of the big issues in that game as well was Vrisalico on the right flank, and they had that two-on-one overload on both flanks, but Vrisalico is, is the better of the two Croatian fullbacks. And that was where the equaliser came from. He was a threat pretty much all game. But you'd have to Ashley, one, Ashley Young dealing with him one-on-one. On one, uh, sorry, two-on-one with Rebic as well. And that, that became a problem. Yeah. I also think the uh, problem for England was that uh, there was not enough uh, balance between the offence and the defence throughout the tournament. I think that England been brilliant defensively. But offensively, they like solely... Uh, relied on, on on set pieces and it they just had to pay off you know it backlashed and uh, you can't go to a World Cup final scoring mostly from from set pieces I think that was a problem uh, this creativity was probably the biggest uh, uh, biggest problem of that that side how would you have suggested that they solved that problem I mean a lot of people were immediately jumping onto the jack Wilshire bandwagon which I think is just too easy no. um, it, would would there be anyone else that you would have taken who might have been a little bit more creative I mean I'm I'm naturally biased I'm a Spurs fan but genuinely I think perhaps not a starting position but Harry Winks if he had stayed fit all season and, and progressed as many had expected him to would have been a really good influence to have off the bench because he is a creative passer that England don't have in their squad and he's I know people have been impressed with Henderson and so have I but there is a little clip demonstrating all the passes that went astray he wasn't as calm and composed on the ball as he has been previously and he would pick up the ball turn over the shoulder and try and fire off a long pass that often went to nobody or out of play and Winks is for me a player that's very calm on the ball and he will slow the play down and he will control the game a lot better than Henderson might have been able to in that particular Fixture. Yeah, I mean, from the video that has been going, doing the rounds on, on Twitter, I did think that it looked so much like Henderson had been told to clip the ball first time that he was obviously, I, I, I don't know whether or not it was like down to a lack of, sort of calmness on his part. The, the fact of the matter is the balls that you were playing, were he, they were dreadful. Um, so it was clearly not a good tactic and they should have changed that as soon as they realised that the, the balls were just going too long, going to the keeper, going out of play. Um and yeah, Harry Winks, I think. I mean, he had obviously had a disappointing second half of the season mm. and dropped out of Spurs' plans altogether. And I remember well, he was injured for. Yeah, a long I remember part watching. I watched him at Wembley uh, in the Champions League in the Apoel game, and and that was sort of the last game he played really mm. before he got injured. And he controlled the game very well there. So he I think he controlled the game back to back against Real Madrid. Yeah. He, he started both of those matches. But on that note, that is something Southgate perhaps should have recognised. In that Eric Dyer also played in those games. Um, and had experience of playing against yeah. Modric, but was was perhaps overlooked and, and wasn't brought on as early as he could have been. I, I think it came down to experience in the end, to be honest. I mean, I don't know what the stat is. I think it's like that Croatia starting eleven had mm. something like 600 international caps and England had a, England's had about 200. I think they looked like a young team, England. That was the, that was the main point for me. Um, and obviously there was a lack of, of tactical maturity maybe from Southgate as well. He failed to react. Um, 
but particularly on the pitch, I, I just felt the England players lost their lost their calm a bit, that, and that's you know one of the main things. Even though it's been a pretty crazy run to the uh, to the semi-finals, the the main thing which has got them through at times has been their calmness on the ball, and like like that Henderson video showed, they just they just lost that at the key moment. I think what what is interesting about I mean everyone's talking about England having a fairly easy run, but I think what's so indicative of that is the fact that that run meant that there was no games that they were spending a huge amount of time chasing I mean there was the Tunisia game but it was a they were drawing and they were obviously in, in the ascendancy there but and the Belgium game I think we'll, we'll just discount but in all of the other games they, they tended to score the first goal um, and and really weren't under a huge amount of pressure to actually turn things around and the, as soon as it happened against Croatia then it was it was quite indicative that, that there were yeah, and it, it, yeah, it, that's where I think it's worth talking about maturity and experience and, and level headedness because you know you look at the um, the opposition in this case, Croatia, and they have a lot of play. They have Rakitic and Modric, both of whom are used to big game scenarios. Uh, and the Croatians just didn't get their heads down when they went the goal down. They carried on flying away and then obviously turned it around. And I think that is probably uh, probably indicative of the, of the fact that they have that big match experience. They are the sorts of players who play in games where they're used to being like, well, we've got a goal down, but we will score a goal. We will get something back here. And, and that's the sort of attitude that, that you need to have in these games. I mean, I don't want to fault England's attitude. I think the attitude was there. I just think they, they lacked the means of executing what they believed they were capable of sure. doing. But... Just it's, it's always easy as well to, to, to talk about experience and attitude yeah. and stuff like that as because it's completely unfalsifiable. You can't really say, well... It's, it's yeah, you can't out. measure but it. I, I, for me, it's that, that that experience that the uh, the Croatians have is is palpable, right? And, no, and, you're, and you're right. Case. Experience, experience told. But I, I don't think you can you can fault attitude in that so much. Um, but I, I look, we could we could post mortem that match and, and you know until the cows come home, really. But there is so much to be proud of from this tournament, and so much to be excited about for the next two to eight years. Realistically, there's a core of young players, a lot of even younger players coming through the ranks. And I, I do think it's within England's capability to win something in the next, you know, either, either the Euros or the next World Cup, who knows. But the, the ability is certainly more than there. Um, but no, look, this this World Cup was special. It would be special for me. It would be special for a lot of people because football came home. But just, <laughs> no, genuinely, it did. Without the trophy, I think football coming home wasn't necessarily referring to a means of, of winning a trophy and bringing home silverware. It was more just reigniting that passion that a lot of fans have lost with the national team. People care again, you know. People are happy with English football again. There's there's a direction, there's positivity to it. And I think that is is honestly what is important and that's what we should be taking away mm. from this World Cup. Not looking back on it in disappointment, but happy that it happened and happy that we got so far. Amen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Amen. <laughs> right. I mean, it's crazy to think that two years ago, you know, that was Iceland... Fans, fans chanting that players weren't fit to wear the shirt. I mean, Southgate deserves a huge amount of credit, even if he was a bit tactically immature in that game, for for actually uniting the squad a bit, for creating a bit of positivity. I mean, like I don't know about you, Ollie, but I think the memories from that trippy free kick, at least, will stay with me forever, without a doubt. And they're going to stay with a lot of people, and that is what I'm trying to hit home on. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the point. Exactly. This. Well, from the sublime to the ridiculous, let's talk about the third-place playoff game then. Um, how how are we feeling about that? I think it feels like it's the first time, really, that people have been so negative about it. It might be simply be the fact that England are in it for the first time ever? No. Uh, no, we would have been it in 1990, but we finished um, fourth. How do we how do we feel about, about the third-place playoff game? I'm so against those games. I mean, I think all the players probably just 
rather go home than play in that game. It's uh, it doesn't really matter if you're third or fourth. It just well, what matter was in the semi final. You win. I'm a Spurs you win. fan here. Don't say that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If you're third or fourth. <laughs> well, one one position is a qualifying game. The other one straight to the group stages. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, not on the international yeah. level. Even no. domestically, third and fourth doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So we agreed. Waste of time. Yeah. Uh, what I just would like to see is maybe Marcus Rashford starting. I think he hasn't been used enough on the tournament. Maybe when he uh, came on the pitch against Croatia, he was like a this last chance of England, like the creative spark, he was dangerous. And maybe that could have been changed as well, like giving Rashford more occasions to, to shine during that tournament. So I would like to see him like starting the game so he can have a bit of this experience as well. Do we think that, that we'll see very, very heavily rotated squads then for this game? I think I think so. I mean, it, it'll be nice to see a few a few of the really young players like Alexander Arnold, um, Loftus Cheek starting. I mean, personally, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. It probably won't. But it would be good just to see Kane and Lukaku starting and fighting out for the Golden Boot. But I mean, I doubt I doubt Southgate and Martinez are going to do that. Yeah, I'm. I think this is going to be a heavily rotated game. Most people aren't going to be particularly interested in watching it, even though they will. Um, um. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I just don't think it's necessary. I just think it's it's a means probably of lining FIFA's pockets a little bit extra. There's there's not much substance to it, and f- from a player's perspective, like, do you really want to be playing in that? Don't surely you just want to go home now, focus yeah. on your clubs, take your mind off of the disappointment of losing a semi final. I'm massively in favour of scrapping it. So and but I mean the the one the one positive is that we'll get to find out who will win between Belgium B and England <laughs> yeah. B because we've not seen that match before have yeah. we? Uh, in this tournament. So uh, let's move on to talk about the final thing because I think there's not really a huge amount to, to talk about with the third place playoff. Um, France, I think the favourites. Everyone will will assume that. The question will be whether or not Croatia are going to be able to hold out. Whether or not they're going to be able to. Um, score. I think scoring the first goal will be will be fundamental in this game, and it will be fundamental in terms of the game state because I think as we've seen, when when France tend to get the goal first, they tend to then be able to sit back, and or when they go a goal ahead, and we saw that against even in the Argentina game where there was a bit more openness. Once they once they got the the goal that took them ahead, um, they they were able to set, sit back in the in the final stages, and, and Argentina really didn't have much going forward. So. One would feel as though this could this is going to be a low-scoring game, um, probably one nil to France or maybe two nil to France if if Croatia then are trying to hammer away and breaking them down and they get one on the on the on the counter attack. Do we uh, have a suspicion it might be a, a bit of a staid game, a bit boring? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it feels that way. But I just wanted to say that Croatia have been written off so many times in the last in the last month, so I wouldn't under, underestimate them. Uh, it certainly would be a huge mistake for France. I'm, I'm sure they won't. But uh, I don't really think that will be 1-0 to 2-0 to France. I think it will be 2-1, but I have no idea to, to, to what side. I, I, would, I would love to see Croatia win. I mean, I think, you know, one thing which has been glossed over purely because it's, it's England who have been eliminated has been like what a massive achievement this is for a country of like only 4 million people. I don't think anyone deserves this more than Luka Modric. Like he works tirelessly for. Obviously, I'm slightly biased, but he's like tireless for Real Madrid, tireless for Croatia. Um, and I think now at the age of 32, is he? Like I think he he deserves to be in this final. And I I hope Croatia win. 
Yeah, well, have a have a day off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm 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 being bitter. It is a big achievement, but I, I don't think anybody's particularly underrating Croatia. I thought it was a bit weird that Modric came out and said that. Yeah. I think he's just fashioning a narrative in his head that doesn't exist. Nobody's under- underestimating them. I think that would be a tough opposition, but France are considerably better than England. Um, I'm just trying to think through who Croatia have played. Probably considerably the, well, the best opponent they would have played at this tournament so far. Um, and they, they, they're going to... They Argentina, but yeah, obviously like, that was... <laughs> an imploding Argentina, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I, I just think Croatia are going to struggle. I think you're right. I think it will be 1-0. But if I'm, if I'm Deschamps, I'm probably going to be instructing my players to come out firing quickly if they've you have to take note of how Croatia have played over the last few games and they grow into games and they they do tend to start slowly so if you get that early goal it's perfect to then be able to sit back and France have the means to defend a lot better than England did in that situation um that double pivot of Kante and Pogba has has been probably the best midfield duo of, of the tournament and Pogba particularly demonstrated his ability he can play in a double pivot and he can play a, de- a disciplined defensive game when he wants to and when he, when he feels the need to um, and I, I think Croatia are going to struggle Modric and Rakitic will struggle to get through that pivot and once they do they're then met with Varane and Mtiti who were absolutely exceptional against Lukaku De Bruyne and Hazard in the semi-final so I, can't, I can't see Croatia scoring to be completely honest yeah. so what, the, what your prediction was 2-1 to France um Probably. I just wanted to notice as well that uh, two years ago in the Euros in France, France was, they were tipped to win the tournament as well and they were stunned by Portugal in the final, even though that Ronaldo got, you know, came, on, uh, came off because he was he was injured. So, is the final just a one game? Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't really think that either, either uh, team has an advantage or an edge. Um, I, I mean, the... It looks like 2-1 to France, but if it's 2-1 to Croatia, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah. I think that Croatia team has quite a few like big game players. I mean, the the best example I was like shouting at him on the screen when he when he came off uh, the other day, but Mario Mandzukic mm. is such a big game player. Um, you know, for for Atletico for uh, also at uh, it's in Juventus was it? But yeah, I think they've got some really big game players who might just turn up for for this game. Mm, yeah. So your prediction is? I still think it's going to be France. So two 0 to France. Two 0 France. Yeah. And you? I think one 0 France. Yeah, I think one 0 France as well. But I'm I'm with Damien. I'm I'm hopeful that it, it will be an upset. Um, but I th- hope hoping it will be a fun game as well. And I think if if anything happens. If Croatia get the first goal, it will be a more interesting game mm. for sure. I think so it's the that. it's the last thing we can count on that that would be a fun game. <laughs> 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 so yeah, um, brings us to a close again. Reminders that we are on iTunes. We are also available on Facebook. The Real Sport page can be liked over there. If you like our content, uh, Twitter, go to Twitter and follow us at Real Sport Goals. That's all of our football content. On Instagram, we're at RealSport101, and all of the content that we talk about on here is written up in article form at www.realsport101.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the World Cup final.